What's up, everybody? I appreciate you for checking me out. If you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or if you're watching on YouTube, I greatly appreciate it. I am, I like talking about social issues, things that we deal with or see in the news. I'm intrigued with how people act about things, especially in the corporate world. I work in a corporate setting, and one area that intrigues me the most is the diversity and inclusion uh, training programs and networks that go on, because obviously, as a minority, um, I, I really do believe in diversity and inclusion and, and, and uh, including everyone's thoughts to achieve great outcomes, right? Having more people uh, that are of different ethnic uh, groups involved in a project or work activity, um, I think, is for the better. Having different perspectives, uh, especially from uh, people from different backgrounds and things like that, that I believe in all of that. But I also think that sometimes these diversity and inclusion training programs, um, I think they go too far. I think sometimes companies push the agenda so much and the smoke gets so thick and we forget that diversity and inclusion is supposed to mean everyone. And I know companies um, in positions and I've had, I have friends that have sat on interview teams and they've been instructed that they can only hire someone with a that's part of a minority background even if they don't have the the right qualifications for the job if they're comparing two individuals one happens to be white that might be better qualified and the other one is a of a minority person um you know hispanic or african american or asian descent uh that person who's a minority will more than likely get positions just because of that that they are a person of color and as and I don't believe that that's the right thing to do. I I don't I don't think that we should just push this and exclude someone um, because of their uh, because they're white. I know it's not a very uh, popular opinion, but if uh, t- teams or companies or friends are 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 pushing or persuading other people to think this way and, and be inclusive and, and diverse um, according to what their definition is. And that definition happens to um, exclude a person because he or she is white. I don't, I don't think that's really inclusion and diversity. I think, that's, uh, I think they're perpetuating a belief just for the sake to say that they are being inclusive and diverse. I think that's it. And uh, so I, I, I enjoy talking about this and I enjoy speaking with people and I like reading articles about it. And one thing, one article that I saw was from the Washington Free Beacon, which I, I'm pretty sure that this organization is a right-winged organization. But the title intrigued me and it said, uh, it's titled "What the Feds Are Teaching in Diversity Training," and the subheadline is "Men Can Get Pregnant, 
Don't You Dare Ask for Data, and other lessons from diversity training across the federal government. Asking an Asian person uh, person for math help is a microaggression. Reverse racism does not exist, and men can get pregnant. Those are just a few of the lessons imparted to government workers in diversity trainings and presentations back in 2021. This is according to documents obtained by the Wall Street Journal. The material summarized in a December 30th editorial show how once fringe ideas have saturated the federal bureaucracy from the Department of Veterans Affairs to NASA and the military. One NASA training states that efforts to be colorblind actually limits us. Another identifies the words, America is a melting pot and don't you want a family as microaggressions, along with asking an Asian person to help with a math or science problem. A third list, perfectionism and data is king as examples of common leadership mistakes. The Free Beacon says that many of these presentations came after President Joe Biden signed an executive order in June 2021 instructing agencies to beef up their diversity programming, and such training programs should enable federal employees, managers, and leaders to have knowledge of systematic and institutional racism and bias the order said, as well as an increased understanding of implicit and unconscious bias. Those lessons don't come cheap. From a 2020 to a 2021, the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention alone spent $300,000 on dozens of diversity trainings, including Let's Talk About Systematic Racism, Unconscious Bias, and Privilege, Silence is a Statement, Understanding Race in the Workplace, and Bambi versus Godzilla, dealing with different, diverse, and sometimes difficult people. I know the federal government's not the only uh, institution or place that's doing this, uh, these diversity and inclusion trainings. I know corporate America is doing the same, and I feel like these training uh, programs are, are not sincere. I think they're just a, a, virtual, a virtue signal that companies do and leaders do to say, Hey, look what we're doing. We're, we're being inclusive. We're including everybody and we love everybody and everyone's one person. And I, I think that that's all what it comes down to is a, is a virtue signal. Uh, when, when I was researching, not researching, but when I was reading up on that article, I saw this title from NBC news and it said, uh, this article just came out. Uh, uh, let's see, it came out January 3rd of this year, 2023. And the title of this one is don't leave fat people out of your, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion goals. Uh, with the, the sub headline is with talks of weight loss challenges popular at the start of the year, creating a space for plus size workers to feel welcome has just as much to do with inclusion as any other group. So this is, uh, an op-ed piece from Kate Burnett. I think that's how you pronounce her last name. She's a writer and a communication strategist. And she says, as a fat person, I hate the first few weeks of January with a fiery passion. Following every holiday season, there's seemingly no escape from the weight loss industrial complex. Social media is inundated with weight loss ads. People are constantly posting fitness goals and gyms are in your face talking about beach bods. The entire world embraces the disordered eating I worked so hard to escape while gleefully saying your body shouldn't exist. 
To be honest, the world does a good job of that year around, but really cranks up at a notch uh, around the first of the year. The worst is when it would show up at work. I might be able to easily report social ads and mute friends, but how do I escape an email from human resources encouraging staff to join a team or a weight loss challenge with a monthly weigh-ins or a boss who encourages her whole team to buy Fitbits so we can compete on daily steps? And then in, uh, she says in parentheses, both were real things that happened at two of my former jobs. She goes on to say that employers seem to rarely, rarely consider fat people when putting together their diversity, equity, and inclusion goals, but creating a space for plus-sized employees to feel welcome has just as much to do with diversity and inclusion as any other group. She says, before I started remote work, I would dread, uh, dread the office kitchen in early January, where almost every conversation would include how bad folks had eaten over the holidays and how good they need to be now, Starting blank, uh, staring blankly at her colleagues as they described exercise as some kind of self-inflicted punishment for enjoying food, all in an effort not to look like me. She says, I'll admit, it was real difficult for me to notice how harmful these things were until I recovered from disordered eating and I started to refuse to participate. Speaking up about how fat phobic and ableist these kinds of wellness programs or incentives are toward people with larger bodies, disabilities, and experience with eating disorders would often be met with an eye roll or a lecture about how my employer is only encouraging healthy behaviors. Politely asking coworkers not to discuss restrictive eating with me usually led to awkward silences and not a lot of future conversations. She says these kinds of programs and incentives value weight loss as healthy above all else, completely disregarding the complex factors that go into measuring one's health. They also ignore the findings of studies that suggest that anti-fat bias and weight stigma contribute to worse health outcomes than a high body mass index. In fact, Weight loss discrimination, which is still entirely legal in 49 states, leads to poor outcomes for fat folks at work, including harmful biases in the hiring process and less pay. Uh, Kate ends the article with, The size of my body has nothing to do with my work. I recognize this sometimes may not be true for certain professions. One of many fine reasons I'm not a jockey or a cave diver but for the vast majority of us, the workplace should be a body-neutral space. My value as an employee lies solely in my experience, skills, contributions to the mission of our work, and that cannot be measured by scale. I think Kate is an extremely privileged person who is using her weight as an excuse just to vent about her weight, if that makes any sense at all. I think she's... This is nonsense. Bashing people because you feel uncomfortable about them wanting to make healthy choices. It's obvious that Kate feels insecure in her own skin. So she wants everybody else to, I guess, kind of pay a price and be conscious of, of what they say so that no one hurts Kate's feelings about her not being able to control her weight. That's what it seems like to me. I, and of course... If someone is truly being mean to, to people because of their weight, then that person's a piece of shit. I can't believe this article was published in NBC News. 
I think Kate is a privileged person. I think she's insecure in her own skin. So she wants everyone to tippy-toe around, um, around her. That way she doesn't feel embarrassed or ashamed for choices that she's making in her life. I don't think that companies promoting a healthy lifestyle is fat phobic. I don't think they <laughs> they just want their employees to be healthy so they can come to work and and reach their company goals and uh, it's all about the bottom line. That, that that's what the company cares about. The company wants to uh, make as much money as possible and they know that if they are going to achieve that goal then they need to have healthy employees. The people that think like Kate in other subjects, not even just, you know, fat phobic, but e- like inclusion and diversity. They believe that their one way is is right. And it's all they have to say is, well, they're not being nice or they're not being inclusive enough or they're being discriminatory towards me. Those are those key words that people say that just perpetuate these radical beliefs that Companies are are people that promote healthy lifestyles are being fat phobic. And I I don't believe that's the case. I think this one person and people like this, uh, you know, the people that constantly talk about racism, they need racism to exist because that's how they get money for their organizations. I'm not a race denier. I'm not saying that racism doesn't exist, but I believe that there's people out there that always revert to the, I mean, everything's racist this day, these days. I mean, even stuff that has nothing to do with race is becoming racism somehow. And it's just wild to see where we are at as a society. I'm, I am Hispanic and I've, I've grown up in majority white neighborhoods and white communities, and I've never experienced racism at all. I'm not saying now I'm not saying or or perpetuating that racism doesn't exist. What I'm saying is people are good. The vast majority of human beings are really good to one another. And there are a few shitty people that are racist and those are just shitty people. But that doesn't mean that we everyone needs to be part of these training programs that promotes one ideology or anything like that. I couldn't find this video at a more perfect time. Everything is racist nowadays. Everything. This is not like racism. It is racism. Anti-fatness is rooted in anti-blackness. And the reason why people are pursuing thinness is because they're pursuing proximity to whiteness. The reason why people hate fat people is because people hate black people. And appearing curvy or bigger is associated with blackness, especially black women. And that's why they're discriminated in the workplace, um, overly sexualized. And this has gone back for centuries and centuries. All systems of oppression, capitalism, sexism, racism, it all comes back to white supremacy which is the foundation of the fabric of America and rules every sector and aspect of our society. This is the wildest thing I've ever heard in my life. Anti-fatism is just like racism. <laughs> you, don't, you can't even make this shit up. I, I don't believe that. I, uh, women are sexualized in the workplace because men like women. And sometimes women dress provocative. They wear heels. They wear the tight little skirts that show their ass. That's why they're sexualized. And men are, we're wired in our DNA to look at women. 
And if women have, and if a, a particular woman has a bigger butt, men are drawn to uh, features like that. Libs of TikTok on uh, on Twitter, they're a great follow. They put out a, a lot of good content. This is probably one of the most wildest videos I've heard. More on this um, anti-fat phobic in the workplace, though. This is from American Wire. They say that um, they kind of go, they add some some context to what Kate was saying in her uh, NBC article, her NBC op-ed piece. Kate goes on to acknowledge that companies promoting wellness are merely trying to reduce cost since it's believed unhealthy people tend to cost companies more money. So Kate thinks that um, she believes that obese people or overweight people don't cost companies more money. Uh, But the American Wire News um, quotes that a new study in the American Journal of Health Promotion finds on average a morbidly obese employee costs an employer over $4,000 more per in health care and related costs than an employee who is of normal weight. That uh, the Science Daily reported this is back in 2014. The study also revealed that obese individuals who had core morbidities such as high blood pressure, diabetes, and high cholesterol incurred more cost than obese workers without these conditions. Um, that says, this is from Karen Van Hughes, the lead co-author and economist of Precision Health Economics. Kind of looks like they're specifically talking about morbidly obese people here, which is, I don't know what the difference is between, uh, a quote-unquote, someone who's fat and morbidly obese. Um, regardless, being fat is not healthy. And even though Kate here is saying that she's quoting studies that BMI measurements of health uh, don't matter and they incorrectly label Amer- uh, labels uh, millions of Americans as fat or unhealthy, which I agree, like BMI is probably not the best measure um, for measuring someone's health, but it's a pretty good indicator. Um, so Kate is wild. NBC News is wild for... Um, publishing this article or this op-ed or even having it on their website. Don't come at me all crazy. I'm not fat phobic and I don't, I I just want you to be healthy. That's it. I just want you to live a long, healthy life. And just because I believe that inclusion and diversity training being forced down employees' throats, just because I, I, I think that they're kind of full of shit. I just think it's a kind of a virtue signal to say that, Hey, look what we're doing. I, I don't really believe in them. I think we just just be good people. That's it. You don't have to force an ideology. Anyway, I'm out. Hope you enjoyed this one. Um, be sure to subscribe, like the channel, and let me know. Send me uh, news articles too or studies that you think that need to be talked about. I love, uh, I really enjoy reading new studies, uh, new scientific journals, stuff like that. Send them my way. Follow me on Instagram, uh, our society podcast with John Alba. Love you. Bye.